Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. An infographic on the homepage of the National Rx Drug Abuse and Heroin Summit website lists the estimated economic cost of the opioid epidemic at $504 billion, or 2.8% of the GDP, for 2015. Clearly, the opioid crisis is taking its toll on American businesses. And if you want a real eye-opener, go and calculate the real cost of substance use for your business at shatterproof.org. Many employers now find they can't find enough job applicants that can pass a drug test to fill their open positions. High turnover, absenteeism, and high defect rates are just the beginning of the collateral damage of the opioid epidemic for many manufacturers in our country. A plant manager at an injection molding company in Camden, Tennessee, set out to change that narrative. Today, we'll talk with Eric Hicks, the plant manager at Jones Plastic Engineering, who changed the culture in the plant he runs and is making a difference in the lives of many of his employees. Today, Eric will share with us how addressing the opioid epidemic head-on in his plant resulted in a more profitable company. Here to tell his story is Eric Hicks. So, Eric, welcome. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's a delight to have you here. I think that this topic is just so important. Um, So let me just put in perspective your community and your your business there. Jones Plastic and Engineering is the second largest employer in Benton County. Benton County has a population of 16,129 people. Um, Jones Plastic and Engineering employs about 225 people. Now, Eric, you joined the plant in 2013. So could you describe how the drug epidemic was impacting your community and business at that time? Uh, yes. Well, when I came to this facility, it, um, I mean, immediately there was an absentee problem. I mean, daily, it, uh, we, we just could not fully staff the plant on a daily basis or shift-to-shift basis. And the turnover rate was, um, it was just unbelievable, the amount of people that, that we would hire. They would hire when I came here, and, and they'd be here two to three days, and then they're gone. Uh, and the, 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 the other thing that's, that I found really odd here was when I looked at the tenure of the employees, there's we had some 20- and 30-year employees who had been with this company for that long, but they were very few. And 75% of the employees in this plant had been here for less than a year. Uh, so the condition of the plant was, uh, from a quality standpoint, um, and that's, let's face it, I mean, uh, manufacturing facilities, uh, their livelihood is centered around the, the safety of their employees and the quality of their product. And our quality was, um, it was just... Uh, struggling very hard to maintain a, a level of quality that our customers demand. Um, and also, this um, this county is a, uh, in Tennessee, Minton County is considered a Tier 4 depressed county. Uh, there's just, um, Benton County is, um, it's a long ways from 
you know, east of us or to the west of us to where you run into more um, uh, places for employment. And, you know, I'm talking 40 to 50 miles. Uh, north and south, there's not a lot going on, but you have to go east or west uh, to find, you know, places for employees to work. So we're we're really dependent on this community, this small community. And this, this facility is now in its, I think, its 21st year here. Um, and it's it's been a struggle for quite some time. So explain the tier system. You said it's a tier four, is it, county? Uh, yeah, a tier a tier four depressed county, which is basically the worst it can be in Tennessee, you know, uh, because there's not a lot of employment opportunities in this case. So unemployment tends to be very high. Um, the drug population tends to be very high. Okay. So, you know, actually the state of Tennessee is working, you know, they're working tirelessly to, to change that, obviously, uh, by creating uh, by creating more work, if you read about Tennessee and what they're doing, uh, they're really working to get you know uh, jobs into this state. Uh, but we got to have a workforce for those jobs, uh, a trained workforce. Sure. So um, the USA Today Network actually picked up your story of what you're doing at the plant, and and what they reported is at the time that you took over, you had 15% of your workers were absent on any given day, and you had a 75% turnover rate. But you realized that, you know, given the drug test results, you couldn't hire your way out of the problem. So what happened next? But that was very true, um, and, and, and actually those numbers are somewhat conservative, but um, they're close. But uh, we did have a, um, a problem, and um, it was, you know, usually you come in and you try to evaluate, you know, me being new here, what is the problem and why did people not want to come to work? Is it is it morale? Is it the company atmosphere? And it was just very obvious uh, that, that what we what we identified here was just a major, major drug problem. Uh, and so when I say I could not hire my way out of it, I mean, I immediately went to a, uh, I guess you would say, a, a very traditional methodology, which was to, to locate that problem and try to try to move that problem out of the building uh, and hire someone who, who could pass a drug test. Uh, and um, I'll never, uh, the first job fair we tried to have, um, we just couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't attract people to come to this site. To put in an application, uh, and what we found, and just in conversations with people in the community and, and here at the, uh, the the plant, was that if this this company had a reputation in in this community, as you know, a lot of drugs were going on here, a lot of sell of drugs, a lot of abuse of drugs, and I think that steered away some of the you know the good people that was looking for a job. I think that steered away from this plant because. Um, and I won't go into that, but it was, it was pretty obvious, you know, the age group that we were getting and, 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 and the experience level that we were getting, it was just not what we were really looking for, but we had no choice. So it, it was uh, the second job fair we had. We had, uh, I don't know, it's 18 or 20 employees turn out, and all of them 100% failed a drug test. They failed a pre-employment screening, and that happened. I mean, I wouldn't be exaggerating if I told you that happened for six or seven times. We would try to set up groups of 15 or 20 to come in. We partnered with some agencies to, to attract some workers. We went to job fairs. We set up booths to have a job fair in other counties. And then when those folks would come in, a hundred, you know, a hundred percent of them would fail the drug screening test. So that, you know, I, I, I knew real quick after, you know, three or four months of doing that, I, we just could not hire our way out of that problem. We had to figure out, 
how to be in touch with the employees we had, how to how to get them to open up about what their needs were and, and how we could uh, try to help them because the employees that we did have here, uh, they knew what they were doing. Uh, they were capable, but they had an addiction. So were you doing random drug testing at that time before you changed uh, no. your hiring practices and everything? So so once somebody made it into the building, then they were, you know, able to do whatever. So it, it, it sounds kind of like there was a little bit of a culture. The people, some of the people that, that were on board at that time were also, you know, drug users and just were getting under the radar and weren't being caught. Yeah, we were not random testing. After after your initial placement and, you know, drug test, if it was satisfactory, you were ready to work. And, and we didn't, we wasn't doing random testing after that. So that's interesting. So that kind of speaks to the crowd that you would attract then. Um, to at these job fairs. Very, very interesting. So under your new program, rather than just firing people when, you know, and escorting them out of the plant, if they did fail a drug test, um, you helped them into treatment. So let's let's talk about how you got that off the ground. Well, the way we started that, it, it was very simple and very innocent. But um, during all of this time, uh, you know, we've been struggling with getting people and keeping people. Obviously, as I said er- earlier, our... Um, our, 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 our defect rate, uh, if you will, and, and other manufacturers will, will understand this term, uh, PPM parts per million defective. That number was very high here. And our customers just, you know, they expect 100% on our parts. So the way this all came about was the way that we saw that parts per million number and dropped that number down drastically in the first year was that we took those problems to the floor, to with the employees, and we sat down and we discussed, discussed those issues, and we tried to engage them to be a part of the company and a part of the decision-making process to solve those issues. And what we found quick, because that had never been done to that degree, we found that the how engaging the employees were, how active they were in that, uh, they felt ownership in that, they felt very proud to be a part of that. And that's that's just whenever myself and the HR manager here, we looked at that and, there, and, and our conversation was, well, let's, let's just go to the floor and, and talk about drug addiction. And what do you think? We know there's a problem. Well, we didn't have a number. We didn't have an information for it in terms of dollar people, but we just knew there was a drug problem here. So we actually just had that conversation with employees. Now, initially, most employees, they, they just would not comment on it. They were very tight about it. But slowly, we kept doing that and worked out that that we were, the questions we were asking were being asked because we cared. And I think that the employees sensed that. And then, you know, once that first employee ever opened up to us, it became much easier. And actually, on a daily basis, we had employees coming to us about, you know, I have an addiction, I have a problem with alcohol, or I have, a, you know, a prescribed painkiller and I'm addicted to it. Um, I, I would have to say it took two to three months of talking like that on the floor in terms of telling them what we're looking for and telling them we wanted to help and telling them we're trying to improve our business here, which is, you know, as an employee, it's your livelihood as well. It helps the community. Uh, it was, that fell on deaf ears for about three months, but like I said, all of a sudden one day it, it opened up an employee, uh, and then after that it was it was almost a daily basis. Someone would come to us uh, and, and want to talk about what they could do and what we could do to help them. And the thing that I found interesting was that not one of the employees wanted us to do anything other than listen and point them into a direction to get help. And that's really what we've done. Uh, it's just try to put them in 
touch with Keith Lupenhelfen because I'll be honest with you, uh, when an employee came to me and said, um, I have an addiction and I want help, I was uh, totally lost. I mean, that's I, that's not my background. I have I really had no idea how to help them. So uh, we were kind of, we, we found ourselves in a situation, okay, we asked for this, now what do we do, so to speak? And um, um, it just took a lot of thought. Uh, and the HR, uh, Tanya Brown, our HR manager, she worked tirelessly to uh, making calls and trying to find treatment centers who could tell us what to do. And only for us, we a couple of treatment centers that they connected with us early on and said we can help. And, I mean, 45 minutes later, they were knocking on our front door because what we found to be key was is when an employee says, I'm ready to get help, uh, that help has to come that day. You have to be on a moment's notice to get that person the help they Eric, let me ask you something. Did uh, did you find it difficult at first to raise the issue to your employees when you just began that practice as you walked around your, your plant? Well, for me, no. I mean, um, uh, you know, for me, it was not hard to talk about for them uh, because my, my goal and my focus was to was to help that person or that, that employee that had the issue. But for the employee, um, as I mentioned earlier, it was very – there was a fear. I mean, this is uh, – this is my 32nd year in plant management, and um, with manufacturing that I've been involved in and the, the industries that I know, um, when an employee has a drug problem, I, I won't stall them, but from my experience, what I've seen and, and been involved in it is you typically find out how do we get this employee out of the building. Um, you know, they've had a serious accident that caused harm to, to, to people or property, and they took a lot of drugs. And they're terminated, or you pre-screen, and if they fail a drug test, you bring them into the building. I think most companies associate there's just such a risk with it uh, that they want to be as far away from it as can. And I understand that because I think there's a risk in doing what I'm doing um, from a, from a safety stand. Because, uh, but that risk is there anyhow. And for me, uh, I, I I just know the people that are doing that now. So I. I for a fact, I know that risk is there. But I mean, if you look at the numbers, I mean, it just if you just think about the numbers that, um, uh, and and you can research this on the internet, that seventy percent of the current users of illegal drugs are employed. Uh, that number's out if you look at for it. Um, you know, in Tennessee alone, in the last five years, over six thousand lives have been lost to drug overdoses. Uh, and I don't know the number of those folks at work, but I would think it's a pretty high number. But where I'm going with that is that risk is in this factory today. If I did not know each person out there and what their situation was, if I if I was not fake that everyone here, I drug tested everybody that came in the door, everybody passed a drug test. For me to think a year later they're all still drug free, you know, I'm I would be kidding myself because we just had an open conversation with people about drug use and they will just I, I this weekend, or I use jokes a couple of times during the week, and yes, I am here at work. And it's if you if our employees thought that we were the traditional employee that when there's a drug issue, we are looking to get rid of that person, uh, they will not open up to us. So sure. it took me it took me quite a while talking to people, letting them know that it's okay to talk to me about this, and it's okay if if you've got a drug addiction, uh, my goal is not to terminate your employment. My goal is to keep you employed and my goal is to work with you to get the help if you want the help. And it took a lot. I said that and said that and said that a, a million times until, like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, 
finally one day an employee he stepped up and he was very brave because and he told me he said i feel like you're going to terminate my employment now that you know this and and we did and we did not do that so i think you know he was gone for 45 days in the treatment center and he came back to work and whenever he walked the door he acted like he just left yesterday he was back to work today and went right into his hole uh he didn't lose anything and uh he's back to work and he actually you know two and a half years later i guess he is uh He's probably our biggest fan on the floor. I mean, people will talk to him. He talks to them. And he's quite often, he brings somebody into the office and says, you know, this is a person I'd like to talk to you. And um, so we see that quite a bit. Now, I guess the biggest success for me on this is whenever we see employees that we know has been out and been through treatment and they've come back to work, um, they share their story. And it just, I find that I have to... I have to have those conversations less because those employees are doing it for us, if you will, and it just it, it makes it a success. Of, uh, it has more employee involvement and more employee ownership, and I think that's what's helped making it better for all of, all of the employees. Well, that's terrific. That's uh, talk about buy-in. That's fantastic. Um, so, so right now you do drug testing when as part of the pre-employment screening process. And yes. you do, and you do random drug testing from the people that are employed at the plant. Yeah, only if only the random is only if there's a problem. I mean, if we've had an issue, now let, you know, and there's been situations where, where where an employee was for whatever reason had to be drug tested, and and they didn't pass the drug test. And the thing that that we used to find is is we would you know administer the drug test, and then the employee, most of the time, they would deny it right to the end. But the thing that we find today is typically if there's if there's ever an issue, you know, and, and when we have to do a drug test, the employee, most of the times the employee immediately says, uh, I've got an issue, I'm not going to pass that drug test, and here's why. And I guess at this point, you know, I think it forces them to say, I'm ready to get help. And we've had a lot say that. And whenever it comes to that situation to where, you know, there's something that creates the need for a drug test, you know, a bad accident or a pre-screening. So, Typically, that's the only time we would do that is if there's a you know, serious accident in this plant that involves several employees. Uh, we typically have a situation to figure out if a drug possibly be the, uh, the cause for that. If we ever do a drug test and someone passes it and they go to hell, we try to tell them that we want to, you know, continue a drug test and, and um you know, and you just be checked every now and then so we can make sure. Because what we find is after an employee goes through this treatment center, and, and this treatment center, is uh, the treatment is not always effective. Uh, so we've had employees that's been through it, you know, two times, and some of them on their third time. Um, and we had a few that after a time or two, they just didn't make it. And um, those employees on their own, without being asked, I mean, they just never really showed back up. He, we've had a couple of those, and that's very unfortunate. But for the most part, they make it, and um, when they come back, that transition period from, uh, you know, I've just been to, to a, a treatment center for 45 to 60 days, and I'm through with that, and I come back to work, um, that employees uh, are completely, completely different. It's um, uh, Some of it is a positive difference. Some of it can be a little bit of a negative difference. Uh, so what we find ourselves then is, uh, I hate to use this word, but you you kind of find yourself being somewhat of a drill sergeant. Uh, uh, you will find that that employee needs, uh, they need routine. Uh, they need someone who will talk to them every day 
uh, if it's 10 minutes or 30 minutes, they, there are things they want to talk about uh, because they are struggling. They are struggling. Do I, do I not use drugs? Do I use drugs? Do I not use alcohol? Do I use alcohol? So I, I find it b- very beneficial if there's, we call them a sponsor. It's, you know, someone else in the plant that's been through the program. If, if they spend some time with them to help them. And then myself, I try as much as I can to go out there and make sure, you know, there's, I, I put expectations on them, you know. The expectations are that, you know, you're, you're going to be at work tomorrow. You're going to be on time tomorrow. And if you've got issues tomorrow, you're going to stop what you're doing and come find me and talk about those. So at least, at least they know I'm there to listen for them. Uh, may not be able to help them, but I am there to listen to them, um, show them that we care. But when they come back, they really, they really, really need someone that's sort of, at their shoulder every day, pointing them in, in a good direction. I, you know, maybe for the lack of a better term, they just they need a drill sergeant that's just pushing them to make the right decisions and do the right things. And if you'll do that for a month, um, I think you see positive results from it. So, what were the costs and time required to roll out this program, there, Eric? Uh, well, you know, as far as the cost, cost was never our focus. So, I and when I say that. We knew there would be costs associated with it, but it, we, we never tracked it. So it wasn't the main focus to start with. However, let, let me say this. I mean, every employee, uh, they track the costs that's associated with absenteeism, with scrap in their facility, poor quality, poor efficiency, uh, your own time deliveries. Uh, the things that we come here to do every day that make us who we are as a company, uh, that make us good at what we do, we track those things every day. So... I mean, for us, uh, we we directly contributed uh, our low performance uh, numbers. Uh, uh, we talk about those numbers on a weekly basis, uh, and, and 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 we put a dollar value to those numbers. And it, it's a number that's easily tracked for us in terms of dollar. So, um, but what we don't do is put a number or a value on you know. When you're not at work, when an experienced employee is not at work on a Monday or on a Friday, and that typically is the days that are the toughest, or, you know, or whenever we try to get uh, volunteers to work overtime or something for the weekend, and you just can't get that done because, you know, people with addiction, I mean, I guess that's when they do that. But so it's, it's very tough. So we don't, we didn't track the cost of this. And for us, I will say this, the, there's been no cost really at hard dollars. I mean, uh, the employee's insurance, uh, our, our insurance will pay for their drug treatment. Uh, the, the cost for them is like a copay. Um, uh, the, so for me, um, I'm agreeing, agreeing to let that employee go on for 45, 60 days. Depends on what treatment center they're in. Um, so what we do is hold employee's job. I mean, if, if you're in if you're in that program, you leave today, I'm going to hold your position until you get back for uh, 45 to 60 days. And I've had a lot of other companies ask me, well, how can you afford to do that? Well, I'm doing it now anyway. I mean, I don't have the employee because I can't hire that another employee that will pass a drug to I'm looking at those numbers and our absentee rate and our, our turnover rate, and I'm thinking, I don't have them anyway. So there's, there's no cost here than it's ever been in the future. I mean, you know, in the past, uh, to put together. So do you have some uh, success stories of uh, other employees that really have a new lease on life because of your program that you can share with us? Well, uh, well yes, we do have some employees who, uh, the, the, and as I said, the biggest success story earlier I mentioned was that when our employees come back, uh, employees, they take this program or this treatment and they come back to work and 
uh, you see a big difference. And they're still, um, you know, somewhat of themselves, and they, you know, they just come to work and do their job, and and, and they get involved when they need to. Then they go home. But the thing that we find they want to do is they want to be involved with other employees here who have an addiction. Um, they come to us and say, you know, how can I help? I want to share my story. Um, and, and let's face it, uh, the employees on that shop floor talk about things amongst themselves that you and I would never be privy to. I mean, they just they have those conversations. And the thing that I've noticed is they, they know who has the problem or they know who has the addiction. And I tell them I have to caution them to be, you know, don't, um, you know, don't pressure someone to something. If you want to strike up a conversation, that's fine. But if you get no response, you know, you just you just need to back off and that person will realize that you're there for them. And if they want to talk, then we'll. So, Eric, what advice would you have for other plant managers across the country who are struggling with the same collateral damage from the opioid epidemic? that you've addressed there at uh, Jones Plastic Engineering? Well, I, I will not tell you this is an easy process, and it is a time-consuming process. And let's face it, we all have tons of things to do today, and we face challenges and problems that come up in, in the manufacturing world. Is in typical things are you're, you're doing something really quick, and something breaks down, and you have to get that going, and something draws you away. But, you know, what? I always tell everybody that as a company, we have a, we have a tremendous preventive maintenance program for our machinery and our capital assets. We uh, we record that, we file that, you know, we buy barcode scanners and we scan them and we record time and how much money we spend on and the uptime and the downtime. But I, I asked some of the folks here, what is our preventive maintenance program for our people? Uh, because we can buy all the machines where we want and without people we can't operate those machines. So you, I think as a plant manager or facilities manager or an HR manager, you just you need to look and say, you know, what is my preventive maintenance for my employees? Um, uh, you, you've got uh, you've got to talk to them. You've got to listen to them. Uh, you've got to show compassion for their situation because you yourself may have never been in the situations that these people face in life every day. And um, if you've not been in that situation, situation, sometimes it's hard to connect to that person. But, um, I just think you need to, you know, really figure out how to get connected to your employees, get connected with a treatment center that's nearby you. Um, the thing for us is when we call them, we're pretty much done. I mean, when we call that treatment center and they show up in our lobby and they take that employee into an office and they sit there, and that's strictly between them, we back out at that point. Um, they either come out and say, no, he's not going for treatment, or they are, but most of the times they come out and say, we're leaving today. We are, we are going to the facility today to get help. And that's always a big day for us. It's a positive day. Uh, and it, it really makes you feel good when you see that happen. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad in a way, but at the end of the day, you know that that person's made a, a life-changing decision and when they can help and hope that they get that help. But um, I just think once you start doing that as a plant manager, you'll be surprised at how the morale in your facility changes. Um, when, when people see that you genuinely care uh, about what's best for them, um, and, and they know that you're doing it for them to get help, um, the payback is enormous. Has been for us. Today, we've been joined by Eric Hicks, the plant manager at Jones Plastic Engineering, who changed the culture and the lives of many of his employees by making it okay to admit to drug addiction in the workplace and helping them get connected to rehab and then letting them return to their jobs after they successfully completed rehab. The results of this program after just two years are they have 50% less turnover, they have a 15% less absenteeism rate, 
and 84% improvement in their overall defect rate. As a footnote, I went to Shatterproof.org and I ran the report to calculate the real cost of substance use for Jones Plastic Engineering before they implement this program, and I showed that to Eric. To him, the report was a very conservative estimate of what their costs really were before they implemented their new program to address drug addiction in the workplace. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.